Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Grumpy Collector Podcast. I'm your host, Troy McHenry, an incurable collector of all things. On this week's episode, we break into the art world. I am by no means an expert, but I look forward to sharing my knowledge and hot takes as a collector, as well as some tips and lessons learned so you can avoid the common pitfalls of collecting art today. Whether you want to buy your first piece of art or your hundredth, and regardless if your budget is $50 or $50,000, some things to keep in mind uh, really are universal that we'll be covering. The show notes for this one are once again epic and live right now, so feel free to check them out at thegrumpycollector.com. And as always, if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the show on your streaming platform of choice and give us a five-star review. It really does make a difference. And without further ado, yeah, your life just got better. While most people know me first and foremost as a watch collector, I'd actually say collecting contemporary art has been a passion of mine for just as long, going back nearly 20 years now. And financially speaking, we probably spend the same amount on both watches and art in our household. I've seen a lot of change in how people learn, search for, acquire, and collect art through the years. And I'll say at no other time has the democratization of art been so great, uh, which I think is a win for everyone. And what I mean by that is artists and galleries are becoming more accessible thanks to the internet, social media, and competition. You know, I think COVID also helped speed things up a bit in this regard. Collector is the winner, uh, which is great. And hopefully the artist is too. The downside with the huge surge in demand for contemporary art is investors and speculators have also entered the market and the hype culture drops and FOMO, you know, has reared uh, their ugly heads, especially in the realm of urban art, also sometimes referred to as street art, but it's becoming more prevalent everywhere. I mean, I even get ads for these companies that sell fractional ownership of art portfolios where they're collectively pooling money to buy blue chip art. They're promising all these great rate of returns, put dollar signs next to things. Obviously, you got to buy it up front, but I hate the idea of people buying art just on the hope of some sort of financial upside down the road. But again, maybe that's, that's just me. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. When thinking about art, I'm not going to define what art is. That's a tricky slope. You can Google that anyways. But what I can tell you what art isn't. I think the first thing people make the mistake of is assuming home decor equals art. And I'm here to tell you, it does not. If you are into interior design and love decorating, that's awesome. But if everything you're putting on your walls, mantle, bookshelf is from a home design store like, you know, Crate and Barrel, World Market, Pottery Barn, etc. You're not, you know, you don't need some sort of bottomless purse or wallet to collect art either. I think that's the other misconception is that, oh, it's just some rich guy's game. And so just going to fall back on what I know or what I grew up with, the black suede pictures of Elvis or, uh, you know, dogs playing poker. Again, one click shop, home decor, or you can walk into a big box retailer and find something that matches your sofa, 
wall color or rug and it will generally be cheaper when it's cheaper ever you know consistently better great art heck even good art should challenge us it should provide continuous joy provoke dialogue in ourselves or with others and support multiple layers of understanding or, or appreciation and that also comes over time i mean that's what's so great about it sometimes you know our tastes do change but if you buy a great piece of art at least for me it's something i can look on and reflect on and will the meaning of it will kind of change throughout my life you know i have quite a few pieces i've lived with now for 10 plus years i'm looking at a couple in my office right now and either they remind me of a time and place they remind me of the artists i maybe i knew personally was working on it or what uh, their influences were or by looking at it over time i i you know new things kind of develop or or reveal themselves and i think that's what's so great about collecting art it's a hobby that can last a lifetime i think it really nurtures and enriches the the soul and it's a very kind of private endeavor really i mean I share some of my pieces on Instagram, but you know, by and large, if you're not in my house, you're not going to see them. They're for us. It's not like a watch where maybe you're going to wear it to flex or something. I'll also say, I'm, you know, I'm not saying you have to have an art history degree to appreciate art. Far from it. But as with anything, a little education can go a long way in ensuring you start, or if you've already started, maybe course correct your art collecting journey. Just like with any type of collecting, the more informed you can be, the better. And frankly, that's the fun part, right? Doing the research. If you're a collector, I mean, going deep, educating yourself, reading magazines, books, YouTube videos, website, scrolling through feeds, that uh, is kind of the, the heart of kind of the research, which is, uh, for me, a, a lot of fun. So how can you get educated in art today? Well, the first step is, a group show where maybe there's two or more artists, you know, and the best part is visiting art galleries is always free. And most art museums are too. You just need to bring an open mind, comfortable shoes. When I go to New York city, which really is in my opinion, the, the hub of, of art, it can be intimidating a little bit. If you're like, I want to see this artist. They're at this big name gallery. I'm just going to walk in off the street and walk around and check it out. But after you do that a couple of times, you get much more comfortable doing it. You know, generally, if you're there and excited about the art or the artist, then uh, the staff is going to, they also realize not everyone walking in is, is going to buy a, a painting or a sculpture. Uh, but if they feel like, um, you know, you're there with genuine interest and appreciation, then, um, you know, you can also use that as an opportunity to, to ask them questions and, and learn more, too. You know, and while I believe seeing art in person is really the best way to learn, there is now a ton online and even more now because of the pandemic. Much more art in institutions and museums are now accessible online. Google has a whole thing called art and culture, which is great. You know, just go to artsandculture.google.com. Again, this will all be in the show notes. Don't worry. Uh, the Guardian had a great article, I guess uh, a little over a year ago around, you know, the world's best virtual uh, museums and art galleries where you can kind of tour things virtually. I think that's fantastic. Pretty soon, I think we're going to be able to walk around virtually using our Oculus 
meta Facebook had goggles, if, if not already, where they toured the factory in, in Glashu to Germany. And again, I came away with a deeper appreciation of what they do. I'll throw up the link. It's, uh, it's on YouTube now. I actually have the DVD as well. It, you know, even uh, Goyard, you know, the French maker of leather goods and luggage, you know, this month has started posting video snapshots on their Instagram page about the process of how they make and personalize their products. You know, instead of just like straight marketing, they're kind of trying to highlight and show the craft behind it. And when you understand the craft behind something, you can understand um, and just have a deeper appreciation. And with art, it works exactly the same way. Going to art museums because you can also then, you know, read uh, the, you know, if they have good signage with the with the works, then um, a lot of times that can be illustrative of maybe what the artist was trying to get across or their process of making it. Um, and, you know, nothing beats talking to the artist uh, as well about their process or what they were your average person would walk up, see them, and be like, I could do that. Well, one, you didn't, but yeah, you could. But then you realize, how did Eves Klein get to that point? And then you realize he even developed that shade of blue himself, right? It's IKB, it's International Client's Blue. Then you start understanding a little bit more. I love it. So, you know, again, when you find sometimes when you walk in, you see something that maybe is difficult to understand. And sometimes that meaning's uh, evident and sometimes it's not. And that's where research or education or asking questions can, can lead to, to deeper insights. You know, in my case, when I think about too, when I really started getting serious about collecting art, where I was like, okay, it's going to be like a line item in the budget. It came from the most plebeian way is maybe the way I would say. I was watching a documentary called Herb and Dorothy, which... It's such a good documentary. Totally recommend it if you haven't seen it. What it's about is the the Vogels, Herb and Dorothy Vogel. Herb worked his whole life, I think, at the um, Postal Service. And Dorothy, uh, I believe, was a librarian. So, you know, both kind of federal city workers in New York City. And they both got very interested in art. And they, at the time, they collected um, quite a bit of minimalist art, but they collected lots of other things too. And what I loved is they decided they would live off, I think it was Dorothy's salary, and then they would use herbs uh, exclusively to buy art. And in the end, they amassed a huge art collection. Uh, but, you know, they were very shrewd and, and savvy art collectors, but they didn't have a lot of money. They were competing with people with much deeper pockets, but they really took um, a light to artists of their time and place and emerging artists that maybe others uh, initially had overlooked. Their entire collection is now uh, part of the Smithsonian, which was great. They donated it all. And matter of fact, when you walk in to the lobby, I love they have the great uh, benefactors uh, carved in stone on, uh, on this wall and, and their names are there along with, you know, all the other great names, maybe the Melons or the Gettys or whatever. And there's Herb and Dorothy Vogel. And I think that's um, priceless. And it's also just a really good example, too, of how accessible it can be. You know, in, in the documentary, the last thing I'll say is you see Herb do several studio tours. And one of the studio tours he did was with an artist, used to be on Canal Street, uh, named uh, in New York City, named uh, James Siena. 
and I saw his artwork and I just loved it. And, you know, from that point forward, I set out to say, okay, I want to own a work by this artist. I think this would be really something uh, neat. Anyways, we'll, we'll go back to that uh, story in, in a little bit. Thinking about other things from a research or learning perspective around art today, I can't recommend enough the TV series on PBS called, um, it's Art 21's Art in the 21st Century. The show, which already has 10 seasons, it spans over 20 years, is really a great way to learn about the leading contemporary art of today. You know, if you have the PBS app, you can uh, stream it. You might be able to find it um, in other places too. I know on Instagram, they also post kind of long clips from, from their shows, but it's so incredibly well done. In each episode, they uh, typically profile anywhere from like maybe three to five artists. So um, totally recommend that. And then I'd almost feel like if you want a master class in art appreciation and really about spending time thinking through you know a single piece of art and how layered or full of meaning one work that maybe seemingly from the outside maybe doesn't the new york times has a whole series called close read and they did one um last month uh, it was a jasper john's painting called in memory of my feelings and i love what they did i hope it's not behind a paywall um, i have a new york times subscription i'm going to put the link up hopefully it works for people and all you have to do is scroll down and read and you can see the painting at first and it's just this greenish grayish canvas with a spoon hanging from it <laughs> and you're gonna look at this for the first two seconds you're like i don't get it now you'd have to understand Jasper Johns more and his the work he's done to understand kind of where he was coming from, where he was going to be going. But more importantly, as you kind of scroll through and you can read what the author is writing about, what you see as you look closer in that painting, where you see different brushstrokes, you see different things painted behind, you see. Uh, a sentence appear at the bottom, which there is. There's a, a printed sentence, right? And then you understand what was going on in the artist's life at that time, um, and why he might have painted it. Uh, it's 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 fascinating. Um, I, I enjoyed that so much. So I hope everyone can spend um, you know the five or ten minutes and and uh, read that. And it's extremely interactive too. So it's something you'd want to do on your computer also mentioned, you'll notice I'm using the term contemporary art. And what I mean by that is art made today. You know, there's movements of modern art and impressionist, right? And post-impressionist and then, you know, modern and then people say contemporary. But when I use the word contemporary, I really just mean art made today, now. And you'll find, and not that I'm building a, a great art collection, I'm incredibly proud and happy and i love the collection i've built but um what you do see about the great art collectors and art collections that have been assembled over time was those people all collected what was contemporary for their time and i firmly believe if you want to 
hey, if you want to support an artist, you have to buy work by living artists. Buying a Picasso today doesn't help Picasso out. Maybe not that he needed the help anyways. But also what you have to understand is with a lot of great art over time, and you were going to say, you know what, I have billions upon billions of dollars, and I'm going to create the world's greatest collection of Van Gogh. Well, you can't. There's Van Goghs you can buy, but they're not great. <laughs> You're going to end up overpaying for a collection of mediocre second-rate paintings by Van Gogh because the really great paintings you know, are already in institutions. Uh, they're, they're not available for sale. And that kind of goes also to the idea of would you rather buy mediocre, mediocre works by a great artist or great works by maybe lesser known um, artists, you know, and that's a personal preference than mediocre works by someone who just happens to be famous. You know, that's, that's my preference and perhaps um, my bias, but because of that too, buying the work of today, not only maybe supporting someone who's alive right now and you can have a discussion with them about it, right? That's pretty awesome. I've spoken to countless artists that I have in our collection, which is which is great, and even artists I I don't collect, and that's that's a really unique and and priceless experience. And some of my favorite memories are, are of that. You know, also it's that's how you can stretch your dollar as a collector. You can think of artists in different genres, right, uh, or tiers. There's emerging artists where maybe they're still in art school they're just out of art school they're having their first group show or their first solo show um, and they're maybe with a gallery that specializes in emerging artists that's the best time to collect art um, and where you can really stretch your dollar because that person doesn't maybe have a reputation yet so as a collector you're taking a risk but you know what if you love the art you're not really taking a risk at all you're buying something you love and so that's really the best advice is buy what you love. And if you develop a good eye, then great. Maybe you'll have some sort of financial windfall down the road. If not, you know, the best thing is you'll have wonderful art that you're going to have up on your wall. And you already have an amazing story of how you've maybe supported an artist right as they were launching their uh, career, which is um, pretty exciting. You know, it's interesting. We have I don't even want to guess how many works we have here, but I've only sold one piece of, of art. And an interesting story about it is uh, it was um, a print from um, the Tamarind Institute in New Mexico. and But it was because it was part of their annual print club. And I had a hunch who the artist was. It was an artist I loved, Tara Donovan. And, but it was when you joined the print club, you'd get the print for that year. But it was... Uh, you know, sight unseen. You didn't know what it was. They unveil it in kind of a, a ceremony after the, you know, the memberships um, come in. So it was kind of me taking a chance to say, okay, I'm going to buy this artwork from this artist I really love and respect, but I have no idea what to expect. Uh, let's see how it goes. And I got it and I framed it and I had it, you know, I lived with it for probably a year or two, but ultimately i i didn't i didn't love it and the other works she's done uh, even prints that i really really liked i was like 
you know, that's what I want is those other works, not, not this one. And so I, I did ultimately um, sell it. I'm sure it went to a great home though. If you're mindful and thoughtful enough, you can buy the right art where you don't feel like you have to flip it or sell it. You can really spend some quality time with it. And so the key too is always to to buy art, you know, within within your budget. We talked how it's so important to be able to see art in person, you know, going to your local museums, going to your local art galleries, you know, but you know, of course the art world does have certain what I'd call hot spots, especially New York City, but also, you know, Paris, London, Berlin, LA, Miami. If you don't live in one of these hub cities or travel much, and really who does travel much still in the, in these days, it's important to either find tours of the show that you can feel like maybe you're almost like there because just the, the flat pictures you might see online or in a newsletter or email to me never really gives me a sense of the work at all. So my, one of my insider tips is there's an artist, James Calm, K-A-L-M. This will be in again, the show notes, but he has a great YouTube channel. He really is one of the top, or at least if not top, most prolific art vloggers. And he has over 700 videos on his channel, walking through and commenting on various gallery shows throughout New York City. And so if it's a show that I really wanted to see, but I couldn't get up to the city to see it, I just hope that James covers it, or I look for someone else covering it, you know, and it's literally him walking through for 20 minutes, showing all the pieces and talking about them. Uh, I enjoy his commentary. I just get such a better sense because you feel like you're there. You can see the scale of the work. You can see it in the room, how the light plays off of it. You lose all of that when you just see static images from a. The other thing is follow the art galleries and artists that interest you. Um, I fully realize that this can be an extremely intimidating as there's over a thousand art galleries in New York City alone. And not every art gallery is the same. You have mega galleries, commercial galleries, co-ops, artist run, exhibition spaces, vanity art galleries. There's a lot. Uh, there's also some galleries that, you know, focus on, like we mentioned, emerging artists or specialize in a particular medium, right? I mean, there's a great gallery I love in uh, Asheville that just specializes in, in glass art and then there's, uh, or ceramics. And there's also galleries uh, that specialize in, you know, regions, you know, say like Southern artists or <laughs> even ethnic groups. When I was in Vancouver, I, I loved seeing all of the Inuit art and there was a ton of great galleries and museums that specialized in that regional art uh, from those indigenous people. Mega galleries uh, are the ones you hear of the most in the media uh, because they are dealing with blue chip artists, you know, almost like how we think of blue chip stocks, right? Those large stocks that people consider to be safe uh, financially or economically. You know, think of the household names of artists living and working today, right? If you think of Jeff Koons or Damien Hurst or Takashi Murakami, those are the types of artists that you're going to find at um, these these blue chip or, or mega galleries. Examples of those are Gagosian, Hauser and Worth, Pace Gallery, you know, David uh, Zwerner, 
white cube. And while I love going to those galleries and seeing the art because, you know, in theory, those galleries should be representing the very best artists. And that art is really of the time. It's traditionally what is maybe not, I don't want to say cutting edge, but the most just of its time and looking forward, I would say. In a perfect world, that's how it should be. Also, a lot of those galleries and artists do help move the discussion on art. You know, they also help move the maybe the art market. I'm less concerned about that. But when I think about styles or movements of art, right, you can think of like the Surrealists or the, the you know, Cubists. Um, it took galleries to find those artists and curate them and to kind of help identify, you know, those kind of movements maybe taking place. And a, a good gallery will, will do that. The way to figure all of this out, because it is a lot, you know, my suggestion is start small. Figure out the things that initially interest you that you've seen from your research. You know, if that artist is represented by a gallery, there's a good chance you might like some of the other artists they represent. There's also, you know, really good websites uh, like artsy.net, where most galleries have virtual pages. Once you follow a couple artists uh, or galleries, Artsy will suggest other artists based on your likes or, or follows. And, you know, I think this is a good opportunity to, to talk a little bit more about art galleries and that I think art galleries uh, sometimes have a bad rap. Aren't they just taking, uh, you know, skimming from the top of every sale? And, you know, if I bought direct from the artist, uh, you know, wouldn't they have gotten more money or the full amount? You know, and as a collector, it can be tempting to, to try and work with an artist uh, directly and maybe bypass the gallery. Um, and I would never discourage someone connecting directly with an artist, you know, that bond and relationship. But, you know, if an artist is currently really under solid representation, then that artist probably will, you know, point you back to that gallery um, to say, I'm so glad you love my work. And why don't you, you know, talk to these two or three galleries that maybe represent my work? Or, you know, the artist may then tell you, hey, I'm working on some works and, you know, uh, you'll be able to find these in this show that maybe will be coming up at this gallery. And I think as a collector, it's important to appreciate that a good gallery does several things that I think are things that we don't always think about, right? I mean, they're building a portfolio of artists and or representing sometimes artists' estates once they've passed. So they can still be that place for scholarship or um, to be able to purchase works by an artist that's passed. You know, you need someone to kind of handle sometimes the estates of artists. Curating exhibition programs. And I can't say how important that has been. Like I remember Mackenzie Fine Art on Orchard Street on the Lower East Side did a group show. And they were, you know, sourced and brought in art from artists that they don't even represent. And one of the pieces I fell in love with, I think it was uh, already sold, but I, you know, I learned of a new artist that never would have been on my radar, uh, Richard Schur, a German artist. And, you know, I, then I was able to follow him and then ultimately purchase a work from uh, a gallery that was uh, representing him. That 
that wouldn't have happened if I wasn't following what uh, Mackenzie Fine Art was was doing. And and the reason I follow them is because there was a couple other artists that they do represent that I love, and so it was great then to see them bring in other similar artists um, that I wasn't aware of. So I, I learned a lot through them. And then <laughs> again, a good gallery will help a collector discover artists that maybe they don't even represent. I mean, that can happen a lot too, where you're talking about an artist and then maybe financially, it's just not going to work out for you to acquire pieces of their work, but they may be able to say, Oh, you know, this other artist is kind of a disciple or is in a similar style, you know, maybe you should uh, look into them, uh, which is always exciting. As a collector, galleries have, at least in my experience, have been super flexible in working with me and my budget. And so whether that's, oh, I really love that artwork, but <laughs> I'm broke right now. Can you hold it? Or can I pay you in installments? Most galleries are willing to work with you. You know, at least if you build up that sort of rapport over time, it's not something I try to make a habit of. We're all human. We all have limited means. And, uh, and sometimes we, you know, our, our taste, uh, exceeds our means sometimes. You know, the other thing that you have to watch out for is what I call derivative art. Now, if you take it to the extreme, you could say, well, Troy, all, all art is derivative. You know, we all experience the same things. And so if an artist paints, you know, a painting of a rose, surely you could go back and find one similar. And then you could say, oh, it's derivative because, uh, look, he, they painted this rose and it looks just like what Degas painted X amount of years ago. But that's not really what I'm talking about with derivative art. Derivative art is being so heavily influenced by another artist that you can't even have guessed that it was made by someone else. You would have thought it was made by the original. The artists I see this happen with the most there's probably two would be like Keith Haring and Andy Warhol, where you'll see something and, you know, maybe people, you know, I think that sometimes this type of art can also kind of prey on people in that, you know, it's one thing if it's a direct homage and it's clear about that, but if not, then people are just like, oh, this looks cool. I like this. But, you know, if it's just a repurpose of another artist's work, just in a slightly different medium or format um you know personally i stay away from this you know i don't want to invest money in you know copycat art and so um and that also goes for like um maybe buying reprints or you know paying an artist to paint the exact same picture of something that's in a museum that just i have no, no uh, appetite or interest in that personally but again if you don't know Maybe the source material, you may not know that something's derivative. And again, that's why if you find the right gallery who is supporting contemporary artists, they're doing that fact-checking or that curation, right? To say these are artists that pass the muster in their eyes based on what they know. So I think that can be incredibly helpful if you don't, you know, if you don't know visually off the top of your head, the top couple hundred artists working right now they could be hard to maybe know that right uh, and, and that's okay the new normal now is discovering art and artists via social media i think i've personally bought i was just thinking about this before i started taping this episode i think i've bought at least five works of art from instagram <laughs> i'll see someone i follow who i respect 
show something. And then that starts the rabbit hole for me. Um, a good example of this, there's a local artist to me named Ashlyn Browning. I own a couple of her paintings, but more importantly, <laughs> maybe I should say more importantly, uh, she follows tons of amazing and great artists on Instagram. And sometimes she'll repost something or share an exhibit. And then I'll see this and I'm like, oh, I love this. And it makes sense, right? Because I love her work and she has a great eye and great taste. And so the things that she follows, a lot of the times I'm like, this is so cool. That's also another really great way. It can be kind of a spider web, right? So in turn, I've, I've found a lot of artists just through that. And then crazy enough, occasionally the Instagram algorithm gets it right. If I'm following a bunch of artists in a particular style, it will recommend for me other artists in that style. That just happened uh, last month. And I ended up then contacting the gallery that this artist uh, said he had some works at and, uh, you know, bought, bought one of his paintings, never really knowing the artist and never visiting the show. Because I think the gallery was in uh, Texas or Florida. I can't remember now. And so that's that's pretty cool, though. And now I have a relationship with that artist and, you know, I now follow them directly and it'll be great. There's also outside of social media, there's now really what I'd call almost entirely digital first art galleries. And I don't mean they're selling digital art, they're selling traditional art like paintings or sculpture, but they don't really have a brick and mortar front. And so in turn, they could also have much deeper uh, collections of work, or they might just have a small physical outpost, but they have a huge back catalog. Two examples of these one is Uprise Art. Um, I think they do a really good job and they do a, um, a nice curation of the artists that are on their site. And I would say they are probably a good bridge for someone who maybe has only bought home decor in the past, never really bought art, maybe doesn't want to do all the research. And that's okay. You could go to a place like Uprise Art and you can search you know, based on size, based on colors, you know, they make it very simple for you to find original artwork. Um, if you're trying to find something that has to match something in in your home. And I understand some people for art, that has to, to be the case. I'm um, exactly the opposite, <laughs> which sometimes can be problematic. And that if I see a piece of art, I love it. I'll, I'll purchase it. And I have no idea where it's going to go in the house. I don't know what room, I don't know what wall, I don't know how it's going to play off of other things. Um, and that kind of can sometimes be a fun and sometimes hair pulling experience to kind of figure out, okay, where does it now make sense to put this thing that I love? Um, but I will say by doing that and having that approach, a lot of fun things happen because I believe in putting my artwork you know, doing different mashups of artwork next to each other. Very much what you hear is like salon style where you have, you know, in my office, I, I have works that are three or four high, right? Not just going across like a gallery style where you have one artwork and then you look to the right, another one to the right, another one, you know, mine are up and down <laughs> and left to right. That's how they used to hang uh, art. <laughs> uh exhibits uh and exhibitions long ago you'll sometimes see these old paintings of what these shows looked like and it's crazy you're you're in a huge hall with all of these paintings 
and you know the room may have 30 foot tall ceilings and there's artwork all the way up to the very top and then the ones at the very top they would tilt slightly so you could kind of see them better uh, i always thought if i was an artist and one of my works was hung that high up at the ceiling i'd be so uh, upset but dip your toe in 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 the art world if you want and i love their slogan uh, be original buy original i think that's there's a lot of truth to that now what well first reach out to the gallery or galleries that represent them and ask them if they have any works available and you know also ask about prices you know they can also sometimes tell you when a, a new upcoming show with your artist work might be you know coming available so i don't even fret too much if i'm looking at an artist maybe i discover them on artsy.net and it says no works available but that's okay that artist is living and breathing and they're probably still creating work uh but they're probably creating and holding it back for an upcoming show so figure out what that show is and then what's great is you could be on the the pre-announcement for it you can sometimes if you've already expressed interest to a gallery they'll send you uh, the price list and the works that will be in the show before it becomes public and you can you know potentially purchase something before it even has a, a chance to be seen uh, it usually will still be shown uh, but already have kind of the red dots uh, as we say when an artwork gets sold they've um, most galleries will put a red dot on the on the label. Uh, directly asking the artists about you know what might be coming up is also a great approach. Uh, most artists, especially if they're on social media, then they're going to be fairly uh, willing to um, to answer questions. You know, this is also where now things can get interesting. This is just where sometimes you you have to figure out or understand that, you know, it's okay to have champagne taste with a, a beer budget. Give you a, a great example of this. I had gone to Marfa, Texas for my um, 40th birthday. Minimalist works that are there. There's so much more to do there. And I was uh, visiting some art galleries and I saw this work and it was a small work. Um, you know, maybe not even 12 inches tall, maybe two inches wide, uh, two inches deep. Um, very sculptural in nature, but you could hang it on a wall. And I loved it. But I never asked the price or anything. I took a, a photo, remember the gallery. And, you know, I'm definitely someone who also will dwell on art that I see. So it's, I can't tell you how many times I've looked at something. I'll file it in the back of my mind. And then three months, six months, 12 months later, It'll kind of come to the forefront. I'll look at something and it'll trigger that and be like, oh yeah, I'm still thinking about that. Okay, let's let's see what we can do. Well, a year later, <laughs> I write to the gallery. I was like, I remember this piece of artwork and I really liked it. And the gallery's like, oh yeah, that was by this artist named uh, Stuart Arends. And we no longer represent him, but you know, here's his his new uh, gallery representation, you know. He, it moved from Marfa to, to New York City, gallery-wise. Maybe personally, too. I don't, I can't remember. And so then I wrote to that new gallery, and it's like, oh, I love these this work. And they're like, yeah, I think we have two pieces that kind of match that. With my budget, that is just a deal breaker. And I will say, you know, with art, there is definitely room sometimes to negotiate. And it doesn't hurt to ask even as a new collector or first time buyer from a gallery, if anything. Um, and, you know, and as you collect more then you know, those things sometimes can become more open or, or more automatic, but, you know, 
as I say, it never hurts to ask, especially I think if you're straightforward with a gallery too, if there's something you want, but definitely heartbroken. I was not going to be bringing a, a work by Stuart Arends home uh, anytime too soon of, of the ones I really liked, but that that's okay. Um, you know, and outside of negotiating, you know, what you can do too is you could then set up a save search for works by that artist uh, to see if any come up at auction, you know, do a quick save search on Artnet or on, you know, any of the big, um, you know, heritage auction galleries or uh, go to liveauctioneers.com or, you know, Christie, Sotheby's, Phillips, all of them. And uh, that can be um, a really good way to kind of find sometimes art where maybe when it's new to market at the gallery might be um, sometimes more than when it ends up getting sold secondhand because maybe it's also an earlier piece or it's from a, a different um, theme or movement that maybe the artist has kind of shifted um, focuses on. And then you can also sometimes look for a lot of artists will donate art for charity auctions and fundraisers. And I've had really good luck when there's an artist I really like, I'll just do some safe searches and sometimes I'll find works that they've uh, donated to be, um, you know, listed in an auction uh, for, for a charity or nonprofit. And I've been able to buy those. Um, and that's, and that's been great. Sometimes you can, you can uh, find a, a bargain there if you're having to be um, mindful with, with the budget and depending on what you're looking at. And, you know, I already said this again, but you know, if an artist you love is just out of your price range because they're a mature artist or they have great representation or they're mid career, or whatever, well, you know, again, look for those up and coming talents or emerging artists with a similar style and support them. I think that's uh, that's totally appropriate. Some artists will also do small multiples for um, certain websites. Sometimes there's fundraisers. There's a, a great website called Art for Change where they're selling um, prints of art um, uh, for various nonprofit causes. They really do a great job uh, curating that. You know, if you can't afford a painting, look for smaller works on paper or smaller scale works, those can usually be a bit more reasonable. Uh, a lot of art is priced by the size, right? Which in a lot of cases makes sense. Um, you know, painting a six by six inch uh, canvas versus a 36 by 36 inch canvas, you know, the larger one took the artist more time. And so usually the cost is, is factored into that uh, accordingly and kind of so also not just the time the artist took on it, but it's just, you know, the, the presence of the object. And now let's talk about prints and multiples. This is something I'm really passionate about and I love to collect, but I think a lot of people don't understand because I think what a lot of people are used to is you see a painting, you're like, oh, I love that painting. Um, I'll buy a poster. That's fine. That's not um a fine art print is how I would I would say it. And also as a general rule, I don't buy prints that are copies of an original work of art. To me, the print should be the original work of art. I know that sounds like a contradiction, but it's not, I promise. Uh, let me explain. You know, if someone paints a painting 
and then they just make a standard copy of that you know maybe it's a a lithograph or just it's just a print right it's just like a photocopy and then they they sign it whatever you know that's fine but you're always just having a copy of an original because the original is that oil painting let's say but there are multiples in prints where it was always meant to be a print or a multiple think of like a rembrandt engraving you know rembrandt did beautiful paintings but then he also would engrave copper plates and then those plates would be inked and they'd be pressed down and those are called engravings and you could literally almost see the the plate pressed into the paper right it leaves a seam a square uh, indentation into the paper and each one had to be hand inked and then each would be signed and in modern days also you know numbered and usually you know signed by the artist in pencil numbered in pencil at the bottom of you know the addition size whether it's like one of ten one of five whatever that engraving plate is the art and that art is meant to be a multiple that engraving plate is not a copy of a painting you know it only exists as that that print um, and that's what i really love because the art of printmaking is one that's incredibly rich like reduction or reductive lino cuts if when you learn about that it's it's so crazy you're taking like a piece of linoleum carving it inking it and let's say you're going to make 20 editions you would stamp all 20 and then you would carve some more put a different color on it and then print those same 20 and you're layering up and adding the paint as you go and you're creating these 20 um impressions or editions of it well, what's great about that is because then each time you're carving and then adding a different color let's say you can't go back there's there's no going back because you've already carved out of that plate and so you can't go back in time so you have those 20 and then as you do ad additional colors really fascinating stuff you know you think of like stone litho uh, lithography where you're carving into a stone um, and doing impressions uh, that way. Um, there really is a lot of really interesting ways to make prints. And so I absolutely do not discount them uh, one bit. And it really is also a fantastic way to collect maybe an artist where you can't afford an original, but you can't afford uh, an apprent. And going back to that, example you know from the the documentary herb and dorothy where i first learned of james sienna tracked down his the gallery that represents him which is a pace gallery and then uh looked at his paintings um most of them are you know at the time were done uh which was pretty cool with a enamel paint on aluminum panels those were all uh budget busters big time print making the art of it uh, the process of it and so he really has almost two like practices going on that influence each other, where one is the practice of his paintings, uh, but then other things that he wants to explore or things that maybe make sense better in that other medium of printmaking, he'll do that. And so none of his prints 
are copies of his paintings and none of his paintings are copies of his prints. They both kind of live in their own worlds and they're both fantastic. And so uh, I remember by my, uh, my first uh, print by him, it was um, uh, a, a larger work uh, done by again, um, uh, universal limited art editions, uh, ULAE. And I uh, just really, really uh, love it. I think now I have maybe 15 works by him all multiples, all prints. And that in of itself has been such a rewarding collection um, to, you know, try to collect his work where it's either different styles of printmaking, right? Or um, different uh, printmaker workshops that he's worked with. Um, You know, whether that's Lower East Side Print Shop or Harlan and Weaver or Pace Prints. So absolutely I think it really behooves anyone to really study up and explore fine art prints. And, you know, the best places to do that, um, again, I really like Art for Change. I really like Exhibition A, if you're not familiar with them. I think they do a really good job of curating um, emerging artists and having them do prints for them, which have have been really uh, some of my favorites especially for artists who maybe otherwise don't do prints. And so that's been really cool. The print center, which is really all about celebrating the whole art of, of printmaking and artists who um, work in, in that field, printcenter.org. Again, all of these will be uh, in the show notes. The absolute best resource I would say is to check out the IFPDA fine art print fair. And if you're wondering what the heck does IFPDA stand for, it's the International Fine Print Dealers Association, which is great because it's all the best printmakers on the planet and they all show at this fair. And so if you go to their website, uh, fineartprintfair.org, um, you'll, you can see all the, the best print shops doing work today and then visit each of their websites and see if there's something that really speaks to you or sign up to get their uh, emails. That's what I've done. And it's been extremely rewarding. I've been able to support um, a few of them and I've just learned of such great artists um, through them as well. Before I forget, if you really want to educate yourself on prints, there's a fantastic book called prints and their makers by Phil Sanders, and you can order it on Amazon, but I would even encourage you to order it directly from his website, which I'll put in the show notes because you can get a, a signed copy by him. And it really is a great introduction in the history, the process, things to think of, and just the the whole, it's just kind of a, a print collecting and making 101. Uh, do check that out. And uh, he lives in North Carolina, so you, you can't beat that. If someone was asking me the best, easiest ways to collect art, again, would absolutely tell them start with fine art prints or maybe works on paper. I also have the general rule that uh, I prefer to collect deep rather than broad. And so, you know, when I think of my art collection, I have really focused mostly on specific styles like uh, geometric abstraction. That's just what I like. I traditionally kind of like hard lines, you know, non-figurative. You know, abstract expressionism is great too. Color field, op art, those are kind of the things that 
I, I really like, and those are the things that kind of inspire and, and challenge me, you know, to have more than one work by a particular artist, because then the moment you have two data points or two pieces by them, you can start seeing progress. You can start picking up similarities and differences. I just think it's um, really interesting when you can have ideally, you know, three or more works by the same artist in your collection. I think it just becomes a lot more um, rewarding and just, again, kind of, it's interesting to see them maybe play off each other if you, if you put them next to each other too. There's a few artists where we only have maybe one of their works, but not, not many. Most we really do collect in, in multiples, but you know, that also goes to, you know, you have to buy what, what you love. And so if there's something um, my wife and I see that we love, it doesn't fit anything. Well, that's okay too. You know, have um, grace with yourself. And if it's something that brings you, you know, sparks joy, then you know, go ahead and pull the trigger on it and, um, you know, find a place for it. And even if it just ends up being this one data point in your collection, that that's okay. Ultimately, it's you're almost like curating your own private museum uh, in your home. And so you have to think about, is it going to be thematic or, or not? Ultimately, I think any collection should represent the directly or indirectly, perhaps the the owner, right? And their and their distinct taste. I think if someone walking around our home didn't know me, if they saw the art, I'd like to think they would have a, a good idea about the things that interest us or maybe a little bit about our, our personality. You know, the other things I would say that you always need to think about as you start buying art is insure it with your homeowner's policy or a separate policy, that's super important. And then don't forget about hidden costs. Uh, sometimes, depending on what it is, shipping can be um, expensive. You may not be thinking about that at the time. Or in my case, I buy a lot of um, you know prints on paper, uh, you know, multiples that are on paper or just works on, original works on paper. Typically they're not framed. And so then you have to get them framed getting a, a photograph framed right now. And I think the photograph ran $40 and I'll spend 200 to get it framed. And so that's just to say it's, it's worth keeping that in mind as you're about to buy something to say, Oh, you know, depending on how you're framing stuff, you know, I frame most of my stuff um, floated with um, pretty high quality uh, wooden frames and museum glass, you know, that, that absolutely adds up. So just something to, to keep in mind. And, and then going back to something I always like to bring up on the Grumpy Collectors. Okay, now let's, what's the hype side of this world? We hinted at it just a little bit, but, you know, there are hype artists, as I would call it. And I don't know if they're a victim of their own success, probably, um, or if they encourage it. I don't think, maybe some do, but, you know, these are the artists that, might be household names for some people like calls and Daniel Arsham, or you think of sometimes like you'll find things with Supreme on them or Mr. Brainwash and Banksy, Shepherd Fairy, sometimes Takashi Murakami. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who collect this art. It's very popular, probably the most popular, um, partly because at least initially it can be affordable if you can initially buy, it's almost like buying a Rolex, right? If you can buy a Rolex at an AD, it's not 
too expensive, but then on the secondary market, it goes for a large premium. And these works traditionally do too. And there's whole websites that, you know, track them. There's this artcollectorz.com that where people will put up, you know, what's all the latest drops and things. Uh, Avant Art, um, you know, lists quite a few. It, pretty much a good rule of thumb is if it's being talked about on Hypebeast, then uh, it probably falls into this. And, you know, for me, uh, predominantly, I'm, I'm out of that. You know, anytime I see art where it's drop driven and they're like, and there's a countdown timer to when you can buy the art, again, I'm, I'm checking out. That's not, I don't want to, buying art should not be based on um, who has the fastest internet speed or fastest mouse or has time just to sit around and wait for some sort of drop. Um, and you're not really building a relationship with um, a gallery or the artists themselves either. Um, so it's always um, a little hazy for me um, what you are then supporting by that. You know, I think for some people it's become a way of life though, right? Because they're almost making a living of just flipping these things that were limited editions. I guess it is what it is. Um, but I have definitely found that collecting art rewards those who are patient. You know, if you can ignore the hype, come up with a plan and work towards it, you know, whether it's buying one really expensive piece of art a year over time or just having some sort of idea of, you know, ultimately what would you want your art collection to look at and then try to ultimately um, provides beauty for the owner or, you know, just inspiration. You know, that's how it's done. It's not done by buying art where you have five minutes to decide if you should buy it or not. I think ultimately you're not going to be happy with something like that, that then you're going to want on your, on your wall. And then lastly, let's, <laughs> I hate to bring this up, NFTs, uh, you know, that stands for non-fungible token, unique unit, uh, unit of data. Uh, it allows digital content, you know, whether it's videos, images, songs, whatever, to be logged and authenticated on a cryptocurrency blockchain. Predominantly, these are done with Ethereum, which is kind of the second most common cryptocurrency, maybe right after Bitcoin. You know, definitely the main impact of NFTs is it's making it easier to own and sell digital content. You know, my take on this is I think for digital art, if I was buying art that was always digital, let's say it was a uh, video art or, um, you know, even if it was just a digital art, but really to me, I would want for video art. I think it makes a lot of sense that when you buy that piece of art that you get an NFT with it because that art was always digital to begin with, where I think it's already totally uh, getting abused is when people are just throwing in NFTs when you buy some other physical good as if it's just like a, a freebie. I'm not quite sure what that's buying me because then I already have the physical object. And if there's a certificate of authenticity, maybe that's enough. I guess the idea is the NFT is better. It can't be forged like a piece of paper can, right? I can appreciate and understand that. But, you know, I definitely think NFTs for just these basic images and i get it it's digital art but i don't know if it's a fad or not but it's not you know digital art is not something i'm super pumped about it's not something i can really interact with um 
you know, it's not something that's going to be in my space and I can see how it changes over the course of the day as the light reflects off it differently in my hallway, which is maybe more my speed. So uh, it will be really interesting to see how it shakes out. Those that um, live in North Carolina, because some of, or I should say the bulk of my listeners do, I wanted just to provide what are maybe some of the art galleries or museums that I really like in the state. So if you're out of state or aren't too interested, you know, you can check out now. But uh, if you do plan to visit North Carolina or if you live here in Charlotte, uh, Hodges Taylor, I think, is a fantastic gallery. Soco Gallery also in Charlotte, I think, is really good. In Asheville, Blue Spiral One has tons of great art uh, and represents uh, lots of great artists. I love the exhibits, exhibitions they've been putting on. And it's a huge space, too. Like when you go there, it's uh, multiple floors. Um, really cool place. Bender Gallery in Asheville is a, a gallery we've bought a couple works from. They predominantly specialize in um, art glass, uh, which is actually super interesting, too. But funny enough, I think. The works we bought from them, none of them have been <laughs> glass. One's a ceramic sculpture, and another's a, is a work on paper or canvas. Pretty kind of funny. Uh, in Chapel Hill, closer to me, uh, the Frank Gallery, which is kind of a co-op between the city of Chapel Hill and uh, kind of a membership uh, of artists. Uh, that's an excellent gallery. I absolutely love uh, Craven Allen Gallery in Durham. Uh, that's also where I get all of my work framed but they represent some amazing artists uh, across the state. In Raleigh, you know, you have some of these, something that's definitely popped up recently is these new places where artists can have kind of a residency or have a small place to work. Uh, but, you know, it's cool because it's almost like a little art colony. So, you know, like art, I think of like Art Space in Raleigh or Golden Belt in Durham. Uh, both of those are cool to check out when they have open hours. And then, you know, museums-wise, this is an interesting one for me. I'd, I'd like to say the the one that should be championing North Carolina artists the most uh, and local artists should be the North Carolina Museum of Art, but I would say it's not. Uh, I absolutely think um, the the best art museum in our area is the, the Nasher Art Museum uh, on Duke University's campus. They um, have a specific kind of charter to highlight and promote underrepresented artists and i think they do a fantastic job and a really good mix of thematic and, and solo shows and they're also kind of building up their own collection if i want to see contemporary art and kind of get a, a pulse uh, and i can't get to new york city um, i usually will will find it there um, <laughs> the other place where you would find it uh, of all things is a hotel um, in Durham, which is uh, uh, 21C. Uh, you know, the owners own uh, several hotels and they have a fantastic art collection that they rotate um, between their, their properties. And so uh, sometimes that it can be amazing work on, on display there too. It's always sometimes funny what, uh, what I find there. Well, we've come to the end of another grumpy collector podcast episode i so hope you've enjoyed this episode nine uh, talking about collecting art um, it can definitely be a world uh, that can be intimidating and confusing um, but i hope i was able to shed a little bit of light on it and also give some pointers of things to look for 
and to maybe start your own personal journey collecting and supporting artists. Can't think of anything better than that. It's almost like you are your own Medici and <laughs> be a supporter uh, and patron of the arts, which is um, which is pretty cool. Lastly, if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the show on your streaming platform of choice. Give us a five-star review. As I always say, it really does make a difference. See you next time. <laughs>